hallway. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to uh, our, any guests here. Welcome, welcome to anybody who's joining us online today for the first time. We're glad you're here. Um, <clears throat> I think hopefully up on the screen right now you should see a uh, QR code. And we have figured out how to get those attached better to the backs of the seats, so that will be forthcoming. But uh, in the meantime, if you have a, you want to fill out a connection card, if you want to uh, submit a prayer request, or if you just want to donate, you can scan that code with your phone, and it will take you to a little web page that has all those options on it. So I just want to uh, encourage you, if, that's, if you like connecting electronically, there's a way for you to do it. If you like the old-fashioned way, there should be cards and pens in the seats in front of you. So however, whatever works, uh, we're happy to accommodate. Uh, so let's pray before we get into this. Father, I just thank you so much for this word that you have given to me, that, that you have given me to share. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be in every bit of it. Change anything even now to better serve and to bless your people. So we give you thanks and praise, Lord, and I ask all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there was a former NBA star named Eddie Johnson, and Eddie was about six eight foot eight inches tall and, and 47 years old. And he had a history of a very strong character in the Phoenix community. Uh, he did a lot of community service, he worked with kids a lot, he gave motivational speeches, did all those kinds of things after his career uh, in pro basketball had ended. Now, there was another former NBA star. This guy was six foot two and was 51 years old, and his name was also Eddie Johnson. And in 2006, he was arrested for sexual battery and burglary. And you say mistaken identity. And so what happened was that, that some of the media outlets around the country picked up this story, and then all of a sudden, the Eddie Johnson in Phoenix's phone starts to ring off the hook with all of these people calling him, texting him, supposedly his friends who were pointing fingers at him because they believed that he was the one that had done this. And so you can imagine that his day pretty quickly fell apart. And he said this, he said, The thing that disappointed me the most is some people were overzealous enough to think it was me and attack me with a ferocity I cannot comprehend. That's the part that didn't allow me to sleep last night. That's the part that forced me to reach out to as many people as I could and say, Shame on you, that's not me. For several days after this occurred, Eddie Johnson in Phoenix set a goal to get the word out about who he really is and who he is not. I want you to hold on to that for a second because we're going to develop that idea a little bit more here in a minute. But who he really is and who he is not. Now, if you've read up much at all on the history of Christianity, you'll know that uh, Jesus, in a number of instances, has suffered from a case of mistaken identity as well. A lot of the early heresies of the Christian faith had to do with a, a misunderstanding of who Jesus was. Now, I'm not going to give you the names. It's really immaterial. Uh, we'll just call them groups or people that had these beliefs, right? And... Uh, there was one group that compromised Jesus' humanity by saying that he only appeared human. It was kind of like he was a hologram, right? That he was divine, but his physical nature wasn't really there. He just appeared to be there, all right? 
There was another heresy that talked, uh, that, that essentially believed that the Son was not coexistent with the Father. In other words, that before God created the world, he created Jesus. Uh, and so he denied the full divinity of Jesus, right? That Jesus was of the Father and had been part of the creation of the world, not um, part of the creation. <laughs> there was another interesting one where a guy somehow thought that, th that there were, uh, instead of two fully operating minds, one divine and the other human, that Jesus only had the divine mind. And he wouldn't have a human mind because that's where all the evil and deceit and things like that come from. And then there was a, a fourth guy who um, he stressed that there was a, an independence between the divine nature of Jesus and the human nature of Jesus. And so he was suggesting that there really wasn't one person, but two people, two Jesuses, somewhat loosely connected. Okay, so eventually all of these teachings were condemned by one or, or more of the ecumenical councils that met uh, through the 300s and 400s. So uh, Constantinople, Ephesus, and, and Chalcedon were all these councils, right? And these groups of leaders of the faith got together and said, nope, that's not the, what we're going to go with in terms of who we believe Jesus is. So let's just say it's been about 16 years since the last of those councils presumably took care of this issue of who Jesus was and is. But I think that even though the church may be theologically satisfied with their definition of who Jesus is, that still doesn't get you and me off the hook. See, we still need to answer the question that Jesus posed to his disciples a long time ago. And it's the question that we're looking at in today's passage uh, from the Gospel of Mark. So we're going to put it up on the screens if you'd like to follow along in um, some version of the Bible, whatever your pleasure may be. We're looking at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 through 29. And it reads like this. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you're one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter sort of the spokesman for the group, replies, you are the Messiah. Now the answer that Peter gave was the theologically correct answer. And it's the answer that Jesus was looking for because in the Gospel of Mark, this is really the time that Jesus is choosing to sort of further reveal who he is. Right? They've seen the miracles and some of the things that he's done up to this point, but right now he's sort of telling them or asking them to tell him who, who he is, right? And, and Peter gets it right. But since, you know, this whole series has been talking about hope, I really want to approach this question that Jesus asked from a little different point of view. Now, there is most certainly hope in Jesus as the Messiah, okay? That hope, that offer of eternal life, that is at the very heart and soul of the good news. But what about now? Having a future that is secure is fantastic. But what if your life right now is in the toilet? Can you find hope in Jesus amidst a job loss or a health crisis or relationship problems or, in Jeremy's case, extreme aging? <laughs> he happened to tell me he turned 40 this week. So... And the answer to that question is yes, 
you can find hope in Jesus in your right now. And I believe that you can find that answer by approaching this question that Jesus asks, who do you say I am, from a different perspective, one that looks more at his human nature than at his divine nature. So we've established that in his divine nature, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the King of kings, Lord of lords. He is God incarnate. Okay, So we, we, we're, we're acknowledging that, and we're just kind of putting that off to the side for right now. And what I want to do is I want to look at what Scripture tells us about his human nature. So the question before us really is, well then, how do you find hope in Jesus for your right now? And I think you can find hope in Jesus for your right now in two ways. First is by knowing who Jesus is not. And secondly, by knowing who Jesus is. So let's look at that first question, by knowing who Jesus is not. And from there we can look at verse 28 where it says, well, this is the disciples replying. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. Okay, so what they're saying is they're, they're sort of, they're, they're telling him that other people thought he was one or other of these human beings, right? That he was some kind of, uh, you know, like a prophet or some other human being. But the thing is that Jesus is not and was not like other human beings. Jesus is someone that is so totally different than what we normally think about when we think about friends and acquaintances and people that we might come in contact with. Jesus was and is not like other people. What are some of the things that Jesus is not? Well, Jesus isn't jealous. Jealousy involves being hostile towards a rival or one who you believe to have some sort of an advantage. Have you ever encountered a friend who was jealous about something that, some benefit or that you got? Maybe you got a job, a better job. Maybe you were in a relationship that they don't have and they get jealous. And it's difficult to be friends with someone who's jealous of you. Or how about condemning? Have you ever gone to a, a friend or somebody, maybe a family member, and you know, you're sort of talking about a problem you're having, and rather than offer you any help, all they want to do is sort of tell you how guilty or idiotic or whatever you were for getting yourself in this particular situation. Or impatient. Have you ever tried to talk with someone and all they do is spend time looking at their watch? Like, all right, will you just kind of get to the point here? I have other things to do. That really makes you feel important and significant, doesn't it? Or how about someone who's always very predictable? They always respond in a way that you can almost predict before they even open their mouths. You know, no matter what you say, you can almost tell what they're going to say. I don't think Jesus, I think Jesus was anything but predictable. Or disinterested. Right? Uh, yeah, I guess that, well, that's your problem. I'm sure you'll figure out some way to deal with it. I can't help you. Or even worse, someone who's self-absorbed. They're, they're so focused on themselves that they don't even hear anything you're saying. right? Or every time you begin to have a conversation with them, all they do is talk about themselves. right? It's all about me. It's that kind of an attitude. They have really no interest in anything that you, you want to say. What about people that are just plain old cranky? Somehow, of all the adjectives that I think you could describe Jesus, I don't think he was really ever cranky. 
right? He wasn't just this kind of always upset. I mean, you get the impression that Jesus was fun to be with, right? That he was someone that you would want to hang out with. That he didn't go through these, you know, mood swings of being up one minute and down the next. Some people are just unavailable, right? You have a problem, you can't get a hold of them. You just want to talk, and they just, they're not around. They're never there for you. Some people can be present and still be unavailable, right? They're hearing what you say, but they're not listening because their mind's somewhere else. Or you have folks that are undependable. Ask them to give you a hand, help you with something, and they say, oh, sure, I'll be there. And then the time comes and they don't show up. Or is there anything worse than having a friend who's a gossip? You know, who you share your kind of those personal things with, and the next thing you know, you're getting them back from all over the place. Or you happen to see a post on Facebook. You're never going to believe what Sally's dealing with. <laughs> um, judgmental. I mean, folks, humans are so judgmental, aren't we? You know, we're always looking to try to put somebody else down so that we appear to be higher than they are be better off than they are. And then finally, we have insincere. You know, the folks that are just, they'll smile at you and act like, hey, everything's great, and then the next thing you know, they're bad-mouthing you behind your back or whatever. They just, there's not any kind of sincerity there. And the point I want to make, and I'm sure I could probably come up with more than these 12, but Jesus was none of these things. Jesus was so tuned in to what his father was doing and what he was asking him to do that he didn't have time to focus on these kinds of emotions. He was on a mission, right? And he had three years to complete it. And so when you were talking, I would imagine, I can't say this with, uh, without qualifying it some, but I can imagine that if one of the disciples went to Jesus and they were asking him a question, I can imagine that he was looking right in their eyes, he was focused on them, he wasn't looking at his watch or looking over their shoulder to see the donkey coming down the road or anything else. He was focused on what they were asking him and trying to provide whatever it was they needed. And so I think, first of all, it's important that we understand that Jesus is not like other people. He doesn't have all of these and other bad habits, bad qualities, bad characteristics. And I think sometimes you can understand a person and who a person is and what kind of person they are almost as well by knowing what they're not as by knowing what they are. What's absent from their life? Well, if those things are absent from someone's life, I think you would start to get the idea that this is someone that's a pretty good person. But let's not stop there. Because there's the question that we have to deal with. And the second part of this is that not only do we have to know who Jesus is not, we need to know who Jesus is. Right? Verse 29 says, Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Peter replied, You are the Messiah. Now Peter understood that. And in Matthew it tells us that Jesus says only the Holy Spirit could have told you that. But however he found out, 
he understood that Jesus stood at the center of God's plan and that there was nobody else like him. That's what Peter believed. And Jesus told him he was correct. But the thing is, knowing what somebody else believes is never good enough. We've got to form our own opinions. We need to know for ourselves who Jesus is. Like I said, Peter gave the theological answer, and it was the answer that Jesus was looking for. The theological Jesus is the key to our eternal destiny. But I think as we are in the here and now, understanding who he was in his human nature is very important also. And so, what do the scriptures tell us about who Jesus was? Well, first of all, and these are in no particular order, Jesus was compassionate, right? In Matthew 9, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. His heart broke for what he saw that they were going through. And he did what he could to help them in those instances. He was also wise. It says, when in Mark 6, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Jesus has an otherworldly wisdom. Solomon is acknowledged as the wisest man who ever lived, but I think Jesus is uh, perhaps a step above that. And so when we go to Jesus, we, we know we're going to someone who has this immense wisdom, who we will get good answers from. Jesus was forgiving. Harry was talking about this this morning. In Luke chapter 5, it says, Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Do you hear any kind of a qualification in that statement? Any sort of an if. Your sins are forgiven if. No. No. His sins were forgiven, period. End of story. Jesus, of course, was loving. And this was uh, in John. And this was a time when he is, uh, if you remember the story, he's gone to be with the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha. At the, they, he's heard that Lazarus has died, and so he's gone uh, to, to be with them. And at verse 33 it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid, Lazarus? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved them. This is just one example in scriptures of an example of Jesus loving others. I mean, this is minor when we think about John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. 
Jesus loved so much that he was willing to die. that He was willing to give up his life for us. The scripture says, what other, you know, I can't comprehend a love like that. Jesus was a friend of sinners. In Matthew 11, it says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It's one of the great things I think about Scripture is when you read it, you sort of understand who Jesus wanted to hang out with. He didn't want to hang out with all the swells, the religious leaders of his day, the folks that had influence. He wanted to hang out with people like us. Now, I realize, theologically speaking, that if you have accepted Jesus, you're a saint and not a sinner, okay? I get that. but he was friends with people who didn't get that. Who didn't know that that was the, the way that, uh, that their sins would be forg- forgiven. He was friends with everybody. He was humble. In Matthew 26, it says... Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. See, Jesus was someone who wasn't afraid to ask for some help. He didn't want to deal with this by himself. And so he asked his friends to come along with him and to pray. And I think because of that, he understands better than most how much we sometimes need somebody to come alongside us. When we're going through some kind of a struggle or an issue in our lives that seems bigger than what we can even handle, if we just call out to Jesus, we know that he'll he'll be there. He understands that need to be hum- to humble ourselves enough to ask for help. There's not that sense of pride that, that prevents so many people from reaching out in times of trouble. You know, that whole rugged individualism that Americans are so famous for sometimes can be the biggest stumbling block to faith that there is. Well, I don't need Jesus. I got this. Really? (laughs) Okay, you come and talk to me when you get that cancer diagnosis or when that great job you've got suddenly disappears. Jesus had the capacity to be disappointed. In John 14, it records a conversation we had that he had with Philip Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You can imagine the disappointment that he felt after having spent that much time with them and, and talked to them probably for hours and hours and hours as he taught them. And then to have one of them go, I'm not sure who you are. That had to hurt. But I think it gives Jesus that capacity to understand us when, when someone has hurt us and we need to reach out to, to, to talk to somebody. He understands that emotion that is going on with us. He was a sufferer. Mark in chapter 14 records this. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. 
My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He knew what it was like to suffer, and this is mild compared to what he would, was to go through literally within 24 hours of when this particular event happened. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. He was empathetic. In John 2, it's recorded that, he, that the, uh, this is the story of Jesus at the, uh, the wedding of Cana, the wedding in Cana. And verse 3 says, When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. And if you don't know the rest of the story, he then tells one of the servants to take something that was a cup drawn from one of those jugs to the head steward of the wedding who then proclaims it was absolutely the best wine, that that was uncommon, that at a wedding, typically you served the good wine uh, first, and people got all drunk, and then you served them the cheap stuff. So they would go home with a really bad headache. <laughs> That's not in scripture, by the way. <laughs> but even though he sort of initially says, yeah, this is really not my time. He had empathy. And he was willing to do what his mother had asked him to do, to help these people out. Because he didn't want to see... Because the issue was the embarrassment and shame that this would have brought on that family was enormous in that culture. To run out of wine at a wedding was incredibly shameful for the hosts. And so that's part of where that empathy came from, was that he wanted, he did not want that to, to see that happen. He was understanding. Again, in John chapter 8 this time, it says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and rode on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go, leave your life of sin. He understood. And he didn't condemn. He didn't tell her, you shouldn't be doing that. He just said, you're forgiven. Now just don't do it anymore. No lecture, no sermon. He could be firm, however, when he needed to be. This is a conversation he had with Pilate. Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my, king, but now my kingdom is from another place. He was willing to stand up to authority was firm in who he was and what he had come to do. There was no give and take here. He knew what was going to happen, and yet he didn't back down one iota from who, for, from who he was and what he stood for. And finally, he was dependable. In Matthew 28, verse 20b, he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
does not get any more dependable than I am with you always. It's not enough to know what others say about Jesus. You have to know and understand and accept for yourself that he has both a divine nature and a human nature, both fully integrated into his personhood. We have to move from curiosity to commitment, from admiration to adoration. And I, I believe that when you do, you will find that he's a provider of hope both in the right now and in the yet to come. If Jesus were to ask you, who do you say I am? How would you answer? You see, I know Jesus is real. I saw him. I was on a, it's kind of a, like a retreat. Goes on for three days. And you have people that sponsor you on this particular event. And so, uh, and, and at various times during the event, you get notes and cards and letters from whoever it is that sponsored you and others. And I'd gotten several cards that my sponsor had, had written to me, and each one of them said, have you seen Jesus yet? And I hadn't. And it was a source of unbelievable frustration because I so wanted to. I mean, who wouldn't? And so Thursday night went by, Friday, Saturday, Saturday night, get up to my room, ready to go to bed. There's some cards on the bed. Open one of the cards. It's from uh, a man named Drex Kroll, who was my sponsor. And it said, have you seen Jesus yet? <laughs> and I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. I like, wanted to throw the card out the window at this point. I was just so wanted this and yet was thinking this time is slipping away and it's not going to happen. I mean, there's just one more day left. And so on that particular day, you get awakened rather early and hustled. Uh, at the time, it was outside. And standing outside was a multitude of people dressed in really funny clothes. And they're singing. And you stand there and, and they, they sing for you. And it's just, throughout the weekend, it's one of the ways that, you know, you're constantly told, this is one of the ways that uh, you experience God's agape love, right? That real love. And, and I don't know exactly how to describe it, but as I stood there and I was looking at these people, I knew, like I know I'm standing here right now, that I saw Jesus. I can't describe him for you, other than that I saw this probably 50, 75 people standing there. And as I looked at them, I saw Jesus. And I tell you that story for a reason. And the reason is that oftentimes we are looking for a Jesus with skin on. Right? Have you ever heard that expression? I need a Jesus with skin on him? You know, that that Jesus that... Um, 
is sort of out there, you know, or in me or whatever. It's like I can't see him, I can't touch him, I can't connect with him. What is it that we're supposed to do as we mature as Christians? We're supposed to become more like Jesus. And if we're becoming more like Jesus, then it means that the characteristics, I should point there, you can't see that, I can. The characteristics that are on these boards are supposed to be the characteristics that are exhibited in us. That when somebody comes to us with an issue or a problem or just needs to talk, we're the ones that are supposed to be compassionate and wise and loving and all those other things. Now it's true that you can, if there's nobody there, you can talk to Jesus. I know people that do all the time. And he will answer you. And he will be all those things to you. But my point is that that's the way we're supposed to be too. We are the ones that can be Jesus with skin on to somebody else who needs him. And so I don't want you to forget that. That as we continue to grow and mature in our faith, you know, it's, the fruits of the Spirit are wonderful, but those are the things that Scripture tells us that Jesus was like. And so those are the things that we know he was like as a human being that we should strive to be as well. One of the things that we are trying to do more as a church is to find ways that we can all connect with God. And one of the primary ways that Scripture tells us we do that is through prayer. And so what I want to do now is to, for you to just take a few minutes and look at that list. And if you are by yourself, you can pray by yourself. If you have come with somebody else or, you know, I'm... We're under COVID restrictions, so I can't really tell you to gather together in a big group and pray. But I also am not going to stop you if you do. <laughs> but if you want to, what I want you to do for just a few minutes is to pray to God and to thank Him for those characteristics. You can use any one of the scriptures that I um, have listed, or you can just use those characteristics as a jumping off point. And what I want you to do is to both praise him and thank him for being those things for you. And if there's some specific way that he has been those things for you, then I want you to thank him specifically for that. Jesus, I thank you uh, for the way that you were so understanding when I was dealing with my addiction problem. That you were not condemning, that you were not like everybody else, that you were the one who loved me even in the midst of my struggle. That's what I'm asking you to do. Now, you can pray out loud, which I think would be best, because nobody else is going to be listening to you. They're all praying themselves. So don't be self-conscious about that. Pray out loud. Pray with the person that you're, you're with. We're just going to do this for a couple of minutes, and then we're going to have communion and, and close our service. But I think it's important that we find ways to try and connect with God and 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 also connect with what, what message has been delivered. And this is one way that we can do that. So right now, however, whatever that looks like for you, I just want you to spend a couple of minutes in prayer about these things in praising God for who he is for you.
before we go and into communion. Just need to find out, does anybody have a pain? Like right here. Right side, shoulder, kind of back into your shoulder blade. Harry? All right. If someone would go and pray with her, that would be lovely. Um, so it's right, like right here. Okay. While they're doing that, we will uh, we'll celebrate communion. And so now we recall that on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks to his Father in heaven. And then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, Take this and eat all of you, for this is my body given for you. And then he took the cup, again thanking his father. And this too he shared with his disciples. And as he did so, he said, This is the cup of my blood, the cup of the new and everlasting covenant. Blood that was shed for you and for many, so that your sins may be forgiven. So whenever you eat of this bread or drink of this cup, do so. And remember me. Now, I did neglect to mention that there are little containers of uh, wafer and juice that are in the seat, should be somewhere in the seat in front of you. So if you would like to participate, you can find them there. So, Father God, we thank you for this remembrance that each time as we take communion, we remember the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. We remember the love that Jesus had for us and for all humanity, that he would lay down his life so that others may live. We ask you to bless and to consecrate these elements in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Make them to be for us, your body and your blood. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The body of Jesus given for you. And the blood of Jesus shed for you. Yes. Why don't you come up here real quick? <laughs> um, so I've had pain in the shoulder for about two years. Something popped and it's been awful. Wakes me up at night. And they just came and prayed for me and it's like 50% better. I can do stuff, you know, that would have been really like kind of excruciating. So I just wanted people to know that for the encouragement of their faith. Yeah. And um, somebody said here one time, have faith to believe that you're being healed, even if you're not fully healed. So I'm waiting until I see what I have tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Praise God. Chip, do you want to come up? All right, for the next 45 minutes. No, kidding. <laughs> thank you. Thank God is um, at work, and I'm thankful to be part of a church that can tarry, and that's how old people say hang out, that can, uh, that can tarry in the spirit and allow him to work. But again, I just want to come up and I want to invite anybody who's not in a relationship with Jesus, whether you're online, whether you're here, whether you're just, you kind of are in a relationship with Jesus, but it's, He's your insignificant other, if that makes sense. So if you just want to bow your head, I'm just going to pray. And there's nothing special about these words. And in just in your heart, if you want to make him your savior, you want to rededicate, do that. Um, and then I'll be available. Pastor John will be available. Pastor Jeff will probably be in the hallway. 
Um, and we'll pray for you if you have a need, a physical need, mental need, emotional need. But if you just want to accept Christ right now, all you got to do is say, Lord, save me. Forgive me for my sins. I believe you died for me on the cross. And just come into my life and be the Lord of it. And that's it. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that, it might not feel like something giant and significant happened, but it did. A great thing happened. So, again, if you need prayer, Pastor John will be in the back. I'll be up here. I think you'll be in the hallway, but he'll be greeting. Have a great, great, great Sunday.